uh, in the second week of a three-week series that we're calling Left, Right, or Whatever. And uh, it's a series where we are exploring uh, political issues from a faith perspective. And uh, last week we talked about gun control, and uh, we had a lot of fun doing that, I think. (laughs) And uh, this week we're going to talk about immigration, uh, and then next week uh, we're going to talk about homosexuality. And uh, before we do this week, I want to tell you a little bit about uh, next week, and that is, uh, this is a really important issue in our culture, and uh, the church cannot sit back and um, ignore how big of an issue this is in our culture and in our lives. And so we must know how are we to uh, respond, how are we to act, uh, how are we to love. And uh, so we're going to explore some of those things next week uh, as it relates to uh, homosexuality. And um, we're going to spend some time there next week. And so I've told the worship band You can sing one song I want the rest of the time. (laughs) Not quite that bad, but almost. And uh, because it's just really important, and we need to spend some time there. So I I encourage you, be here next week. Uh, If you know someone uh, that this is just an important issue in their life for whatever reason, uh, I encourage you to invite them. And uh, that's how we're going to end our our series. And then two weeks from today, we're going to start a a three-week series on worship. And just exploring what is worship and how do we worship. And uh, it's going to be a really, really great time. So, uh, so that's kind of where we're headed. But uh, I want to reiterate my goal for the series. My goal is to speak about political issues from a faith perspective. Uh, and the reason to do that is we tend to think about these political issues from a purely political perspective or from a purely personal perspective. That, that is to say that when we think about these, these cultural issues, we either think about them in, in terms of politics, how, they, how certain policy affects the, uh, the economy or if this aligns with my uh, declared party of affiliation or things like that, or we look at them from a purely personal perspective. That is to say uh, that your views on gun control will be far different if you grew up in a family that hunts and owns guns in the homes and all of that versus if you know someone or know a family uh, that had someone killed in the theater shootings or at Columbine uh, or any of the shootings around the nation. If you, uh, that is very, very personal. And we tend to, to look at political perspective or, or issues purely from a political perspective or a personal perspective. And I want to say, let's put those things aside. Let's not talk about policy. In other words, I'm not here to say, oh, because you're Christian, you should land here on any policy or candidate. But I'm here to say, let's allow the Bible and the truths of the scripture speak into these political issues that are such hot button issues uh, and and the center of conversation uh, in our culture. Uh, That is to say this. My goal in this series is not to advance the march of the donkey or the elephant. My goal is to advance the march of the lamb, the lamb who was slain. That's my goal. And and as we do that, we still need to recognize that as a community, we will hear the same messages and we will still land at different places in terms of policy. We need to embrace that. We need to welcome that because having different perspectives within a community makes the community and the church stronger. Okay? And so my simple goal is to add my voice, uh, to add a voice to these important issues uh, based on a reading of Scripture.
So as I've already stated, I'm not going to tell you where to land on policy uh, because these are complicated issues. They are, are from uh, multiple perspectives. And uh, you'll notice that last week I made some pretty bold uh, theological statements, but I never said here's where you should land in regards to policy. Uh, and so I still don't want to do that. Uh, but I do want to... Uh, allow us to talk about these complicated and very nuanced issues. And uh, I want to remind you again that I simply cannot talk about uh, any one given issue from every angle. And so you will leave here today after the talk on immigration, some of you saying he didn't talk about the most important thing. Uh, And that would be from your perspective or from your viewpoint, there's one thing that wasn't addressed. Uh, But we simply don't have time uh, to look at things from every angle. And I want you to recognize that I know that. I know that. There are things, uh, when doing a series like this, the, the hard work is deciding what not to talk about, not what to say. Uh, it's, it's the narrowing down and the thinning out that becomes the hard work. And so uh, as we start this, this uh, second week and uh, talking about immigration, uh, let's just ask the Lord to be with us, uh, to give us wisdom and insight, and uh, to give us strength from his word. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for the opportunity uh, to gather together as a community. We're thankful, Lord, for all the differing perspectives and the different thoughts and uh, angles by which uh, this community views these these important issues in our culture. And uh, Heavenly Father, I just pray that you would give us wisdom from your word. I pray that uh, your gospel would challenge us. And uh, that we would believe your word for what it says. That we would believe in the power of your Holy Spirit and your word to not only speak into our lives, but to change our lives, to form our lives and shape our lives. Uh, So, Lord, help us in these moments. Uh, We need you, uh, and we confess that before you. And uh, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And that's one thing I would also want to challenge you. Uh, during this series is uh, many of you will look at these things and disagree, um, but I just want to ask you to, um, to I want to challenge your thinking and, and begin to address the question, do I believe what the Bible says? Uh, do I believe what the Bible says? And so, um, so let's, let's look at this together. So when it comes to immigration, there is a debate uh, in our culture, and uh, the focus is not so much on people migrating to our country, because in general, a country wants to draw people from other countries to their country. It, it shows that there is uh, potential, that there's promise, that the, that the country is uh, welcoming to other people from all around the world. And so uh, it would be foolish for a, company, for, a, for a country not to want anyone to come into their borders. Uh, so, so that's really not what the argument in our culture is about. It's not about Immigration, it's about illegal immigration. That's really the the focus of the debate, is there are people entering our country illegally. What are we to do uh, about that, or what should our response be? And on one side, um, the viewpoint is that illegal immigrants are an economic drain, that they are are taking jobs that would otherwise uh, belong to uh, legal American citizens. Uh, There is um, then a, a call to in light of this, take action and close our borders and actively deport. That's on, on one side of the political spectrum. The other side of the political spectrum says, actually, 
the, the immigrant workforce, legal or illegal, is not an economic drain, but actually an economic benefit to our country, that they are, are, are not stealing jobs, but actually providing jobs or, or doing jobs that, uh, that maybe the American citizen probably wouldn't be willing to do. Uh, and, and so on, this, on the other side of the political spectrum is we ought to take action, but not to actively deport, but to make the process of becoming a citizen uh, much easier. And what I tend to hear as I listen to voices on this subject is uh, how the immigrant population affects the economy. Uh, and, and that, again, is are they helping the economy by doing jobs that wouldn't otherwise be done, or are they stealing jobs, uh, therefore bringing the unemployment rate up? Uh, so the focus tends to be on the economy and then their obedience or disobedience to civil law. Th- those are really the two uh, points of contention that most people have when it comes to immigration. Are they, are they doing their best to become legal? Are they, are they sort of um, outside of the law and, and uh, arrogant about it? Uh, or are they, and what is, the, what is the effect on the economy from the jobs uh, that they're doing? But again, I, I don't want to talk about things from that perspective. Uh, and in fact, with all of these with all of these political hot-button issues, we don't want, I don't want to spend our time talking about necessarily why we're here. Uh, I want to just say we're here. This is, a, this is an issue. This is a conversation that the culture seems to be having. How then should the church, the people of God, respond? Uh, and so all of our uh, discussions over the course of the series will be focused on Response. How should we respond? And so, uh, so let's not look at this from a political perspective, but let's look at this from a biblical perspective. And how are we to respond? So I invite you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to be reading uh, verses 25 through 37. 25 through 37. And um, I want to remind you that if you have a smartphone or tablet with you today and you have the Bible app, uh, you can actually open the Bible app, go to the live section, uh, and it will, it will find your current location, or you can search for Emmaus Road, and you should find a, a brief sermon outline there uh, if you want to follow along. And it also has this scripture here, and we'll also have it up on the screen for you to follow along. But, but let's read this together. This is the story uh, of the Good Samaritan. We're going to see how this story can speak into our lives on this important issue. So Luke chapter 10, beginning with verse 25, and I'll read uh, the whole story of the Good Samaritan, which ends in verse 37. It says this. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? Well, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, and so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And that's the real rub. That's the real point of the story that Jesus is about to tell, is addressing this question, who is my neighbor? Well, in reply, Jesus said this, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and then went away, leaving him half dead. And then a priest A pastor. I don't like stories like this. (laughs) And then a pastor happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. 
Well, so too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. Now, we're easy to, we're, we're, we're usually very quick to blame the pastor and the Levite for not helping this man. But what we need to understand culturally is that if you were a priest or a Levite, which was in the tribe of priests, uh, that your temple duties, your duties inside of the church required that you have the status of being clean. In other words, you're not unclean. To help this man half dead, to touch a corpse, to get blood on them, was to be declared ceremoniously unclean and therefore excluding them from their priestly duties. And so on one hand, they have a duty to care for those who are broken. And on the other hand, they have a duty in the temple. Their debate and there is not whether I should just help this man who is in trouble. Their debate is between a duty or a duty. And so we should not be so quick to blame the priest and the Levite who did not help. Well, let's continue verse 33. But a Samaritan, Jesus says, as he traveled, came by the man where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he took him to an inn uh, and took care of him. And then the next day he took out two silver coins and he gave them to the innkeeper. Uh, And he said, look after him. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you may have. This is a full two days wages with the promise of even more. The two silver coins equal to two days wages. And so here, take two days wages uh, and then some IOUs for whatever else uh, you need. And then Jesus poses the question, which of these three men do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of? Of robbers, And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And so Jesus told him, then go and do likewise. Then go and do likewise. Uh, we need to understand some context if we're going to understand this passage. Uh, we need to understand that the teacher of the law is no doubt Jewish in this story. Uh, which is really what makes this story so scandalous. If you understand that the the teacher of the law, uh, the one asking Jesus about what must he do to inherit eternal life and who is my neighbor, the man posing the questions is no doubt Jewish. And if we understand that, then we understand why this story is scandalous, because Jews hated the Samaritan people. And so for Jesus to say, your fellow Jew, the priest, passed by, your fellow Jew, the Levite, passed by, but it was the people of the race that you hate. The people of Samaria, the Samaritan is the one who came alongside this person in need, was, was practically unthinkable to the man hearing the story. Uh, the one that Jesus was telling this story to, he would have thought this to be absolutely unthinkable because Samaritans weren't uh, weren't full-blooded Jews. They were about half Jewish. And we could trace the line back and, and I could bore you with all kinds of history. But suffice it to say that, that Jews and Samaritans sort of come from the same line, but there was a split in history. Uh, then there was some other um, people that came in and they began having children and other practices and other religious practices that came in. So by the time of Jesus's day, the Jews saw the Samaritans as the people who weren't faithful to the, to their tribe. And they, they absolutely despised one another. In fact, after uh, Israel uh, split in, split into two uh, and went into exile, as they return into exile, return to Jerusalem to rebuild their city, to rebuild the temple. It is the Samaritan people who do their best 
to keep that from happening. And you can read about that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, But there's a lot of animosity between these two groups of people. You know, a lot of times when we come to this story, we can read it as a um, be good to others kind of story. We can read it as a if you find a man in a ditch, help him kind of story. Like we could take it as sort of the least like common denominator of what this story really means in our lives. Uh, At the very least, if you see a man in a ditch, you ought to help him. Uh, Just beyond that, you ought to do good to others. But, But really what's happening in this story is it's about who we consider our neighbor And then our willingness to love our neighbors as ourselves. Because the lawyer asking Jesus these questions saw very specifically God as the God of Israel only and a neighbor as a fellow Jew. That was his paradigm that was his framework and, and so when when he's when it's when it, when it talks about love the lord your god it's talking about love the god who is the god of your tribe only and also love your neighbor as yourself well the neighbor is only someone who's in my tribe maybe they maybe they they, they speak the same language they have, they have the same skin color they have a, come from a similar economic status if someone like that the lawyer is thinking comes into trouble then there's no problem in helping them there's no problem for me to come alongside of them they're from my tribe they're from my nation they are my people and of course we we do this today if, if someone is in need and they are the same as us, we are more apt to help them than if we find someone in need who is different from us. Because what happens is, and I want to speak very honestly with you today, if someone is different from us, it's very, very easy for us to begin to make all kinds of assumptions about that person based on the color of their skin, based on the language that they speak, based on their apparent economic status, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because our culture has all sorts of metrics by which we measure people and their likeness or their differences from us. And any time that someone lines up on a lot of the same things, they have the same color of skin, they have the same this and the same that, then we're more apt to identify with that person and come alongside of them and help them. They're part of our tribe. But for every metric that, it align, that misaligns with us, we find ourselves dis- distancing ourselves more and more. And it's almost as if you could go down this line of metrics, and for every metric that doesn't line up, we take one step back. There's another one, another step back. So if we find someone totally different than ourselves, then we begin to make all kinds of assumptions about them. Let me give you an example. How many of you have have, uh, seen or maybe done this? Uh, You are in conversation or you meet someone who doesn't speak English and trying to get your, your name across or your message across, you say your English words louder and slower. My name is Andy. My name is Andy, as though that will help, right? And with that, we're making a whole line of assumptions, maybe about their intelligence, right? Maybe about all sorts of things. We don't know that we're doing it. Sometimes we do it sort of implicitly, but, but we tend to really think about people that are different from us in different ways. And then if they have a different color of skin, uh, throughout history, people that were of one color thought that people of the other color were less human. 
be based on the color of their skin. Or, or maybe that's not so much prevalent today, but, but how, many, how many of us think that someone of a different skin color maybe is more dangerous? Just based on the color of their skin. We're making all sorts of assumptions and we're measuring them by this metric system. And for every time they're not the same as us, we take a step back. And this has everything to do then with people that are entering our country and how we treat them. And so this is precisely the perspective of the lawyer. God is the God only of my tribe. Therefore, a neighbor is someone who is of my same tribe as well. And so, man, love the Lord your God. Uh, yeah, that's, that's easy. He's, he's the God of my tribe. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you have this sort of narrow viewpoint of who the neighbor is, then of course that becomes not that difficult. And, and in fact, we, we think of someone maybe with a different economic status as us, and we think, oh, they have poor taste. Right? We, we might go into someone's house, and they have a different, uh, they're in a different economic class as us, and we might leave their house, and we say, man, you know, they just have poor taste. Um, <laughs> you guys doing all right still? That's good, yeah. Let's not provide any either. <laughs> Maybe a different economic status, and we think, man, these folks that are different from us in that way are corrupt in some way, and I don't want my kids going to school with those kids. In fact, I heard about a group of people uh, talking in disgust about a local Wendy's who had put up Spanish on their menu next to the English, and the conversation surrounded around they need to learn our language or, we'll, or send them home, and then let's boycott Wendy's for doing this. This happened this week. It was a conversation that I heard about. You see, the issue that Jesus is addressing with this lawyer is absolutely an issue in our culture as well. Uh, if you can get through the language, uh, the movie Crash is a really good movie that addresses these sorts of things. I, it is horrible language. Uh, I am not endorsing it from the pulpit, but you should go watch it. <laughs> so, uh, allow me to be even bolder. For a second, if you think that God is only the God of your tribe, then you have a, you will, it will narrow your view of God and it will lead you to an unhealthy view of people. Because most of you and most of the people in this church are white, middle class, born American citizens that have been part of the North American church our entire lives. And so when we think about God, we don't do this on purpose. But we tend to think about God and Jesus as a white, middle-class American. And that if you are to be Christ-like and align yourself with the life of Christ, then you ought to be middle-class because God wants to bless you. And you ought to be Republican is a lot of what we believe. I hope that someone doesn't clip that sermon and then put it on YouTube or something, like just that line. That would be bad news. And so we, 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 uh, we think, you know, God speaks English. Yes. But I want to say to you today that he doesn't speak only English. And that Jesus was not a white, middle-class, American, Republican. 
And that sounds a little bit ridiculous, but think about how we operate in the church and how we treat other people. We tend to think about God as God as only of our tribe, North American church. And then that leads us to a very particular view of other people. And this passage deals with that issue very, very directly. Now, if I could be very bold for a moment, here's what happens if we do that. If the God is only the God of our tribe and not the whole world, then it leads to an unhealthy view of, of, of other people. Let me be really bold for a moment. What happens when we think that God is only the God of our tribe is we might be tempted to think that the life of someone in our tribe or our country is more valuable than the life of someone in another country. The way this plays out in our tribe... North American Christianity, is that when innocent babies are killed by abortion, we mourn, weep, and call for change. But when the lives of innocent Iraqi babies are killed in war, we sound the horn of victory. We need to realize, church, that God is not just the God of the North American church. We need to realize that God is the God of all who will call on the name of Jesus from whatever country, from whatever walk of life, and from whatever economic status. And that means that if lives are lost, we mourn, regardless of whose life it is. If you are pro-life, you are pro-life. That's it. Okay? And I am pro-life because I feel like God is. And I think the scripture declares that God is. And so we need to come to grips with this. We need to wrestle with these things. We need to allow these truths to speak into our viewpoints on these political perspectives. Are you with me? I'm not here for you to be angry at me. Why would I ever want that? I'm not here to to push you in a certain political direction. I am here to speak the truth because that's what I've been called by God to do. And however difficult and however scandalous it may be in your life. Because listen, When Jesus told this story, it is scandalous. A Samaritan helping this guy when the priest and the Levite passed him by? I can't buy that. I mean, that is absolutely scandalous. And the gospel flew right in the face of all kinds of assumptions that the lawyer had. And I believe that the the gospel has the same life-changing power today. There are many viewpoints that we hold and call normative in the church that when we read the Bible for what it is, will fly right in the face of all kinds of assumptions we've had to make and that we've made along the way. And we need to take some time to just allow those truths to sink in and wrestle with them. That's all I'm asking you to do is wrestle with these things. And so, well, the lawyer is saying God is the God of my tribe and a neighbor is only someone also in my tribe. Uh, what Jesus does is he redefines God as the God of grace to all who will call on his name. And then he explodes the definition of neighbor to anyone in need. And that absolutely changes Everything. And then his instruction is go and do likewise. Like I've just told this story that totally blows up your your view of who a neighbor is and who blows up your view of who God is. Now go and do likewise. Like, and isn't that the simplicity of the message of Jesus? Here's the gospel. Go and align yourself and your life with these truths. 
to the best of your ability. And there'll be times when you don't do it right. And there'll be times when you mess up. And but, but always we need to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the message of Jesus. And so he totally redefines God as a God of grace to all who will, who will call on his name and a neighbor as anyone who will believe. So let's talk very specifically about immigration then. Um, in light of this, if you also look at the Old Testament, there is scripture after scripture that puts the citizen and the alien on equal ground. The citizen and the alien on equal ground. It is over and over and over. If there is a law given by God to the nation of Israel, then the alien within your gates also must uphold that law. The Ten Commandments. When you read that in Deuteronomy chapter 5, you will read that with the commandment to honor the Sabbath is also, and the aliens within your gate must also do that. It's not, oh, they're not part of our tribe, and so they're exempt. In fact, it's bringing them in and saying, hey, there's a law given to this nation. You ought to, they, ought to believe, they ought to uphold that law as well. But at the same time, it's as, as there are benefits to the nation of Israel, so also do the aliens get the benefit. It's over and over and over again, this sort of equal ground of the citizen and the alien. It is required by law, and then it's allowed the same benefits. Here, let me give you just some examples. Exodus twenty-two, twenty-one: You shall not wrong or oppress a resident alien. For guess what? You were aliens in the land of Egypt. And we can take this on some sort of very practical level. Many of you would say, well, I've never been an alien in my own country. I was born here. My, my parents were born here. I mean, I've, I'm, I'm a multi-generation American. But weren't we all aliens to God at one point? Weren't we all aliens to God? And we had to call on the name of Christ in faith to be brought into the fold and to be integrated into the family. And that's, you know, remember a few weeks ago I talked about that as a church, it's really our job to reach people, to bring people into the fold, and then become a people. Here's what the people of God look like, and here's what they do, and here's how they respond. And that's our goal. So you should not, be, you should not wrong or oppress a resident alien, uh, for you were aliens in the land of Egypt. Uh, Leviticus 19.10, you should not strip your vineyard bare or gather the fallen grapes of the vineyard, but you shall leave them for the poor and the alien, for I am the Lord your God. There seems to be this sense that, that when, you are, when you are gathering the goods for yourself, leave a trail behind to lead the hungry back to the place that you are from, right? Like, like there ought to be this trail that, that, that is providing for the poor and the alien, for I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19, uh, 13 through 34, uh, when an alien lives with you in your land, do not mistreat them, for the alien living with you must be treated as one of your native born. Love him as yourself. And then God reiterates it, for even you were aliens in Egypt, for I am the Lord your God. And then Deuteronomy twenty-seven nineteen: cursed be anyone who deprives the alien or the orphan and the widow of justice. All the people shall say, amen, amen. You see, there seems to be this this growing sense in the Old Testament that whether you're a citizen or an alien, there's this equal ground to both law and benefit. And then, 
when we move to the New Testament, Jesus tells this story that begins to sort of explode our ideas of who God is and, and, and who our neighbor is. And, and a neighbor actually is just anyone who is in need, and the God is the God of anyone that will call on the name uh, of Jesus, not just of your tribe. And uh, I think that what we tend to do so much is that when we look at people who are immigrants to our country or a different color of skin or a different language is we place a barrier of us and them. You're either in the tribe or you're out of the tribe. You're either in the club or you're out of the club. It's us and then it's those people over there, right? And so we have people that will bulk at a restaurant providing a menu in their native language as a way of saying, if you're going to come here, you need to speak our language, us, them. And then you might hear them say, if I go to your country, there's not English everywhere. Guess what? There probably is. And guess what? The United States doesn't have an official language. Did you know that? States have official languages, but our country does not. There's no declared official language of the country in which we live. Well, then we might say, well, what is, you know, I mean, that's all fine and good, but were, this, were the immigrants in the Old Testament legal or illegal? Because after all, Pastor, you said at the very beginning, that's the real rub. That's the real issue. It, I don't have any problem with legal immigrants. Come on in. Get your papers, work, participate, vote, do all that good stuff. It's all good. Are you legal or are you illegal? That's the rub. Guess what? In the Old Testament, there is no framework for that at all. There's nothing analogous to our system of being a legal immigrant or illegal. It is an issue that doesn't seem to be important at all. Or at least, at the very least, there's no cultural context for that. There's no, no analogy at all in the ancient world for uh, what we have as legal or illegal. And did you know this? Did you know that immigrants uh, can only come into our nation legally if they ha- are sponsored by a job, which is highly skilled workers only? Uh, it is, it is white-collar workers being skilled, uh, have, that have skilled, high, high skills, highly skilled workers going to highly skilled jobs that can get a work visa. In other words, it's not laborers offering that, generally speaking. And then, or you have a family in the country already. And then there are also 10,000 um, visas that are just in a lottery, which is exactly that. It's a lottery. I mean, 10,000 in a country, in a nation our size is, if you get one of those, that is analogous to literally winning the lottery. And so um, you may not know this, but, but it's actually very hard to come into our country. Many people are seeking a better life and, and just to take advantage of the opportunities of our great country. And as I was doing research, I realized that it's very hard for many people to enter legally, right? We say, oh, man, you're illegal. Like, you know, get, get, get in line, get, obey the civil law, get legal. And, and, and I realized as I was studying this that it's actually very, very hard for people to enter our country legally. Uh, and many would like to, they just can't. And so let me say this. If you fight for policy at all, let it be to form a compassionate process of integration, for those who have come with a pure purpose of providing for their families and a better tomorrow. Because we should protect our borders. But we shouldn't protect our borders as ones who deem ourselves better than everyone else. Are you with me? 
we shouldn't protect our borders as ones who see ourselves as be being better than everyone else. We should protect our borders as ones who desire a clear process of integration for people wanting to come in for the pure purpose of providing for their families. Because the difference between a migrant and a refugee, the line between those two is very, very thin. A migrant moves out of their country into another country by choice. A refugee is forced out through violence uh, or, or famine or war. They must leave. But in many, many cases, the immigrant is in similar situation as the refugee. And so, if you get nothing else out of today's message, I want you to understand this. The call of Jesus is to love our neighbor. And our neighbor is anyone in need. That's a high calling. And that's a difficult calling. Because while there's all sorts of great work that has been done for civil rights in our country, the truth is, we are still not that far away from the mind and the perspective of the lawyer that was asking Jesus how to inherit eternal life. We have a narrow view of who God is. He's the God of the North American church. We have a very narrow view then and an unhealthy view of other people. And I want to allow this truth to just kind of sink in for us. <clears throat> One of our highest cultural values right now is tolerance. Like if you listen to the radio, if you watch news, if you read bumper stickers uh, of the car in front of you, you will find that probably the main value in our culture right now is tolerance. And let me say this to you. Tolerance is the cheapest form of love. Jesus does not say, tolerate your neighbors. Jesus says, love your neighbors. And the difference is this. Tolerance, the highest value in our culture right now, is just passive. You're okay. Do what you want. I'm cool with it. No problem. Passive tolerance. I just sit back and I allow you to do or like or practice or whatever you want. That is the cheapest form of love. God does not call us to tolerate people. He calls us to love people. And so he, he calls us and he says, anyone who is in need is your neighbor. And it is your job and it is your role, it is your responsibility, it is your privilege together as the community of God, as the people of God, to collectively make efforts to love those people that are in need. To love them, to come alongside of them, to risk being ceremoniously unclean, to risk giving money, two days' wages to those who are in need with an IOU that's very open-ended. Right? This, is, this is not just tolerate. This is not just let them be. Let them do their thing. 
is a call to actively love our neighbors, to love those who are different from ourselves. But you know, the call of of the gospel isn't actually just to love those different from ourselves. It's actually uh, Jesus uh, speaking, in, in the, I believe it's in the Gospel of John, says that, that uh, you will, they will know you by your love for one another. You see, Jesus doesn't just say love those who are different from you, but actually inside the community of God, inside those people who are like you, that by the, all the metrics that are, are so prevalent in our culture, and they line up perfectly. They have the same, they make as much money as you do. They speak the same language. They have the same color of skin. They have the same sort of interest. They like all these things, all of these metrics. You too ought to love one another. You see, the, the, the message of the gospel is love, not tolerance. Jesus doesn't say within our community you ought to tolerate those that are different from you. He says we ought to love one another. That that when one of us mourns, we mourn together. When one of us celebrates, we celebrate together. But But then he totally busts the boundaries open. I mean, that's easy, right? We can do that. But he busts the boundaries open. He says we also ought to love those who are different from ourselves. And that becomes a lot harder. And so love isn't tolerate. Jesus doesn't say have no issue with the choices they have made. He says care for them, come alongside of them, help them in the same way that you would seek to help yourself. Now the direct response is this. If becoming legal is a possibility for someone who has migrated into our country, we ought to come alongside of them, help them get their paperwork filed, and become legal to align themselves with the civil laws of our country. But is it also too much to ask if someone, if becoming legal isn't a possibility, is it out of bounds to help meet their basic needs, particularly if they are a brother or sister in Christ? If nothing else happens today, if the Lord does nothing else in your heart, I hope that he will begin to change your attitude. Because attitude must come before action. We must think differently about those who are different from us before we can follow through on any kind of actions to radically love our neighbors. And so I I don't know where you're at today. You may totally disagree. And as I said in the beginning, you may say you're not, there there is the glaring issue, perspective, thought that you're not even addressing or touching. And I understand that and I recognize that. But I want to challenge you to one thing. Has the love of God so penetrated your heart that you can love those different from yourself? And that actually goes way beyond the issue of immigration. And that just says, I need to begin to align myself with the great love of God that knows no boundaries. And so if nothing else, you may disagree with me on everything I've said about immigration in particular, but allow this to speak into your life. Has the love of God so penetrated your heart that you're able to love those different from yourself? And then I want to close with this. 
these truths aren't just for our thoughts about immigration. They apply to our thinking about the church as well. They apply to our thinking about the church as well. It is easy to think that church should look like our church all around the world. And in fact, whatever, you, uh, whatever tribe you grew up in, maybe you grew up charismatic, maybe you grew up Presbyterian, maybe you grew up Lutheran, uh, maybe you grew up Church of Christ. I, I don't know what, what tribe you grew up in, but, but whatever you grew up in, that's normal to you, right? And, and then when we go somewhere else, it is so easy because it's not normal to us, it's so easy to think they're doing it wrong. And that's true when you cross denominational lines, even within our country. It is especially true when you go to another country to a church service. And it's like, you just come whenever you get there because you walked miles to get to church. You didn't drive your nice air-conditioned car. You walked on a dirt road with sandals on your feet to get to church. And then church just lasts for however long it lasts, and it's over when it's over. And I'm thinking we should take that model on. (laughs) And then the pastor just goes until he he just feels like the Spirit of God is telling him he's done. And I really think we ought to take that on. (laughs) And, And it would be so easy for us to think, oh, they're doing it wrong. Because it's not normal. Because normal has been defined by your personal experience. And so when it comes to loving other people, when it comes to recognizing those who are different from us, we need to not only do that in in terms of different race and different uh, economic status and language and all of that, but we need to realize that the community that God is building, the global church, is made up of all different kinds of colors of skin and all kinds of different languages. And so if you find yourself not liking those who are different from you, you are not going to like God's new world. Because in God's new world, there'll be praise and worship and shouts of praise rising up in every language from people of every color. And we need to recognize that. We need to embrace that. And we need to honor that. We must learn to love those who are different from us. Thanks for listening to the Emmaus Road Podcast. We hope this message has been encouraging to you. If you'd like to support the ministry of Emmaus Road, you can do so online. Just visit theroadfc.org and click online giving.